All right. Fantastic. I think I am going to get a pulpit eventually. But for the meantime, it's question time. I've had some really cool questions come from last week's message. And uh, let me pull them up. Question number one was a bit of a fun one. Thank you. Uh, question number one was, uh, so Elijah talked about the different theories of how we interpret what happened to the facts around, around Jesus dying and things like that. And one of them was called the swoon theory. And someone said, why is it called the swoon theory? Is it like swooning going on? Well, apparently swoon just means to faint. So Jesus fainted but didn't really die. That's why they called the swoon theory. It's not romantic or anything like that. Question number two, very, very cool question, and I was hoping we would get this question eventually, which is, how do we know that the Bible is real? Now, Elijah, when he, when he spoke last week and he, he showed us these facts that we know about Jesus, and, and then we came to our conclusion of what's the best explanation for these facts— those facts are developed by pretending that the Bible is just a regular historical book. So let's just take the Word of God off the table for a minute, and let's just treat this like any other historical document that we found. You know, when we, we prove that Julius Caesar was a guy, we, we look at the writings and the material and the things we find about that historical figure. So let's, let's just take spirituality off the table and treat the Bible as though it's just a regular historical book. And when we do that, we still arrive at the same facts that need to be explained. That Jesus existed, that he was killed on a cross, that he, the, the tomb was empty, and that people claim to have seen him after he died. And Elijah showed why the, the most likely explanation we think is that he actually did rise again. Not to mention the fact that he predicted he would. So, so we come to this realization without even saying, well, the Bible's the word of God. But then when we come to this realization of, okay, we established that God is real. It's a really good, it's a, a strong case to think that there is a God. And then that he's the Christian God because Jesus' resurrection is so, such a strong case. So when we get to those points, then we can start asking the questions about, well, what is this Bible? Because we keep finding that the Bible is showing things that are true. And when you have the faith to believe in Jesus, then you can put the faith into action and say, well, let's, let's believe that this book is actually God's intended word to us. That it was written by men, by people like you and I, in their own times and cultures. They often wrote the Bible to other people. And, uh, but they did that based on what God was revealing to them about the world. And I, I heard this saying um, once that said... Uh, it's not that things are true because the Bible says. It's that the Bible says things because they are true. And it has been tested and proven time and time again. But this question is actually so big that I think what we'll do is we'll add on to the end of our series a topic about why should I read the Bible? What is the Bible about? And I might even get Pastor Elijah to uh, bring that word as well. Because he got his credentials. You did? Yeah. He's a pastor. You can call him Pastor Lodge. Because uh, he did such an awesome job last week. And uh, so hopefully that kind of answers the question, but it's okay if it doesn't fully answer it because we'll, we'll give a whole week to that because you can talk for ages on that, why we should trust the Bible um, and how we know it's God's word. The last question I got was, um, so we know Jesus came to earth, grew up, died, rose again. But then what happened? Where is he now? Where did he go? What happened? And, uh, and so I, I can answer that by saying that, well, he appeared to his disciples and ate and drank and talked with them and showed them, hey, look, got this scar, got some holes in my hands, pretty cool. And, and they hung out. And then he said, look, I've actually got to go. <laughs> I was like, what? Come on, we're going to take the world. Uh, actually, it's better that I go because someone greater is coming. And that was the Holy Spirit, which is the spirit of Jesus that can be with every single one of us all the time. So Jesus said, I have to go so that we can let the Holy Spirit come. I don't know why he had to do that. We can ask him when we get to heaven one day, but clearly we can see that the Holy Spirit did come. So Jesus was right. 
And so he had to basically go back to heaven. And so it says he ascended. Uh, he was with the disciples and said, hey, you know, let me give some commands to you. We'll get to them another week. And, uh, and then he took off and went into heaven. And so he's actually seated with the Father in wherever heaven is. <laughs> Jesus is there. And he's waiting for the right time to come back. Because he said, I am going to come back in the flesh, just like I left, uh, which is really cool. I've got a little bit of speculation to add on to the end of that, which is that uh, imagine, imagine you were a two-dimensional person. So, so you've got a piece of paper and then write, draw a stick figure on it. That stick figure can only see like in front, behind, left and right. But there's no third dimension so that it couldn't look up and it couldn't look down. It doesn't exist. It's a 2D stick figure, right? You got that in your mind? So imagine there's, he's living on his piece of paper and all of a sudden you get a pencil and you touch the piece of paper with a pencil. All of a sudden this 2D guy would just see this dot or this line appear out of nowhere and he'd be like, what? Where did that come from? It, was, it, was, it wasn't there and now it's there. And then you took the pencil off and you went, and then you put it down over here. He would see it disappear. Like, what? Where did that dot go? And then, oh, it's over there now. And he would have no idea how the dot got from there to there because it jumped out of his plane of reality. So I hope you understand that analogy. And now let's extrapolate that. In other words, let's bring it up to our reality. We have, we have up and down. We've got a third dimension. But I like to think, and this is a guess, right? There's no proof of this. But I like to think that Jesus is in another dimension that we can't see. And when he chooses to step into ours, like a pencil touching on a piece of paper, that it manifests as his body. So it's like, here I am, now I'm not. Here I am, now I'm not. And to us, we're like, this is crazy. But to him, it would make a lot of sense. But he just has another dimension to work in. Anyway, that's just speculation. Something fun to think about. But uh, I thought that would be kind of a cool way to end that question. Thank you for your questions. Please keep them coming. And I'm expecting a fair few after tonight. You might just want to put a seatbelt on. Seriously. Just front, back, around the back side, life jacket. Because tonight... We're going to talk about some really cool things. And I can almost guarantee there will be something that you've never heard before in this message tonight. So we know that God exists and that he's the Christian God. And so the next question, the next critical question I think that matters is what does he want? I think we've got, there he is. Well, okay. So what does he want? Because why did he create anything at all? Why did he make us? What, is, what does he want? What, what is he after? And so I want to try and answer that. And it's actually a very simple answer. But for me to tell you the simple answer, for you to really understand what it means, I have to tell you a very long story, a big story. So I hope you like stories. I hope you're ready for a story. This is a wild story. It's actually the story of the Bible. Um, it's made up of a whole bunch of little stories. And this story involves three parties or three groups of people. We've got us, humans. We've got God. And then we've got a third party, which is other spiritual beings. You know, you probably have some kind of idea about angels and demons or the devil. That's what I'm talking about. These other spiritual beings, they play a role in this story. Now, unfortunately, the Bible doesn't tell us plainly. It's like, here's the book of spiritual beings. And once upon a time, God made spiritual beings and they're blue with horns and wings and blah, 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 blah. It doesn't tell us stuff like that. Um, instead, we actually have to study the Bible carefully and, and through all of the different stories and all of the different books of the Bible, we get little glimpses or windows into what's really going on in the spiritual dimension. 
what are these things really about and what's the greater story going on? It's like the Star Wars movies, you know, episodes one to six. And, and there's, there's each episode has its own story, but all together there's one greater story going on. That's what the Bible is like. Each book that you read, even some of the chapters, they're their own story, but there's actually this giant story going on in the background, which is absolutely amazing. Okay. So just before we jump right into this, I wanted to ask you to take what you think you know about angels, demons, spiritual beings, all of that kind of stuff, and just put it on an imaginary shelf. It's safe. It's there. You've got it. It's, it's not going to go anywhere. But what can happen is when we hear new information that might seem a bit crazy, we can do two, one of two things. One, we can just accept it completely. Oh, yes, I will take everything you say at your word and not question any of it. You shouldn't do that. You should have a serious think about it yourself. But the opposite to that is the second thing that we can do, which we can just shut off and go, nah, nah, nah that, doesn't, that doesn't mix with what I know, so I don't want to hear anything to do with it. And, and we don't take it in. So what I want you to do is take what you currently believe about that stuff, put it on a shelf for safekeeping, and then listen as well as you can this week and into next week. And then once you've heard what I've got to say and the research that I've done, then take that stuff off the shelf and then have a look. Does it mit? Does it match? Is it different? What needs to, how's this work? And then you can kind of figure it out yourself. Does that sound good? Reckon you can do that? Awesome. Well, start your engines. So, to begin... We're going to look at a lot of scripture tonight. Like, I mean a lot. So get ready for that. We didn't look at any of the last two times I preached, so now we're going to make up for it. So we're going to start in the book of Job. I thought the book of Job was a job. Kanye, I like that lyric. It's pretty cool. The book of Job. And um, chapter 1, verse 6. Oh, here we go. So we've got God's story, the story of God and his creation. So now there was a day... When the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. What can we make of this verse? Well, we've got these characters introduced called the sons of God. And they have the ability to go and meet with God in his throne room. They can rock, hey God, how you doing? I want to go and talk to you. And Satan is one of them. He's among them. He's, he can also go and meet with God. He's one of these group that we see here called the sons of God. And so I'm not going to go through the whole story of Job because that's like 42 chapters or something and we don't have time. But basically, Satan says, hey God, Job only loves you because you bless him. And God says, no, he doesn't. And Satan says, prove it. I'll take away all his blessing and see if he still loves you. And God says, sure, go ahead. And so then Satan takes away all the blessing. All Job's family dies. He loses all his possessions and he gets really sick. And then we see a whole lot of chapters of him moaning and complaining and not figuring out, trying to figure out what's going wrong. And his friends are saying, well, you did something wrong and God's punishing you. And he's saying, I didn't do anything wrong. And there's all this fighting back and forth and no one really knows what's going on. And eventually God corrects Job and Job realizes, you know what? I'm still gonna serve God even though things suck. And then God says, ha, see devil, I told you. He would still love me. And then God restores him and he gets a new wife and a new family and new possessions and everything's great again. That's the book of Job in 30 seconds. So if we jump to chapter 38, so we've just, we've just done like 38 chapters. Verse 4 to 7, we say this. So, so this is when God's kind of reprimanding Job. And he says, hey, Job, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you would know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its, its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. So we've just learned something new about these characters called the sons of God in this moment in that they were there at the beginning of creation. They shouted for joy when God began it all. So at some point... God made these beings. We know that because they're called sons of God, or really what the, the phrase is, is meaning is that they're children of God. They, they come from him. 
He is what made them, right? So God made them, and it must have been before he created the world because they were there to say, this is, this is amazing and shout for joy. You got that so far? Okay, so now we've got a question of, so what is the point of these guys? Why do they exist? And we can learn a little bit of an insight into that if we jump. Now we're going to jump from Job to the book of 1 Kings. So 1 Kings verse, uh, chapter 22, we can read a couple of verses here. So let me give you some context. So the king of northern Israel, there's, there's, Israel's in two parts, right? You've got northern Israel, you've got southern Israel. North, this happened after King Solomon died. His son kind of stuffed things up and they split into two. We had Judah and Israel. Israel, the king of Israel is called Ahab and the king of Judah is called Jehoshaphat. What do you say about me? No. And Jehoshaphat, that's not a nice name for a son. Anyway, so Israel is at war with Syria, who's up above northern Israel in the north. And they're at war. And Syria currently occupies a place called Ramoth-Gilead. Turn to someone and say Ramoth-Gilead. Ramoth-Gilead. So Syria owns this. And, and Ahab is like, hey, that's, that's rightfully Israel's. I want to take it back. So he goes and gets Jehoshaphat and says, hey, Joe, let's go take back that land of Israel. Let's work together. Come on, we're all Israel. I know we don't always get along. Let's go into battle and take it. And Jehoshaphat's like, mm, I like that idea, but let's just see. Let's get a prophet of the Lord, the God of Israel, and see what he wants to say about this. And Ahab says, oh, I don't like prophets of the Lord. In, in fact, there's only one guy left who's a prophet of the Lord. I've got all these other prophets, and they all said it's fine. They all prayed to all these other gods. It's all good. They said, we're fine to go into battle. It's going to be great. And I don't think we should waste our time talking to this other prophet. And Jehoshaphat says, I'm not going to go with you unless we consult him. And so he says, fine. So they go and get this guy called Micaiah. It's like Micah and Isaiah, Micaiah. And he's a prophet of the Lord. He's the last prophet of the Lord in northern Israel. And he comes along and he basically says, Ahab, if you go into battle at Ramoth-Gilead, you're going to die. And now we pick it up in this verse, verse 18. And the king of Israel, who's Ahab, said to Jehoshaphat, did I not tell you that he would prophesy good, uh, he would not prophesy good concerning me, but evil? In other words, I told you, he only says bad stuff about me, this guy. I don't like talking to him. And Micaiah said, he's now speaking on behalf of God, therefore hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne. Okay, we're back in the throne room. And all the host of heaven standing beside him on his right and on his left. And the Lord said, who will entice Ahab that he might go up and fall at Ramoth Gilead? In other words, die. And one said one thing and another said another. Then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord, saying, I will entice him. And the Lord said to him, by what means? And he said, I will go out and I will be a lying spirit in the mouth of all of his prophets. And he said, you are to entice him and you shall succeed. Go out and do so. Now, therefore, behold, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of all of your prophets. The Lord has declared disaster for you. Now, it's safe to say Ahab didn't like hearing that one bit. So he, I think it, the Bible says, he slaps Micaiah across the face, locks him in jail. And then Ahab and Jehoshaphat say, forget that. Well, Ahab says to Jehoshaphat, forget that. We're going to go into battle anyway. And Joe goes along with him. And sure enough, Ahab's like, well, if, if, if I'm going to die in this battle, you know what I'll do? I'll disguise myself in normal soldier's clothing so no one will know who the king is. And so... The, uh, the Syrians are looking for Ahab, trying to kill him in the battle, and they can't find him. And then sure enough, the Bible says one random person just fighting the war shot a random arrow and, sh and stabbed Ahab in the chest, and he, and he dies. <laughs> As a random soldier, he, he got killed. So we can see some very, very interesting stuff about what's going on in heaven through this story. So we... These sons of God that we talked about in Job, they're currently being referred to as the host of heaven or as spirits. They're kind of interchangeable terms for these same guys, right? And it's really curious that God, so God, the all-powerful, all-knowing God who can do anything, 
he decides to say to this host, this, this group of heavenly beings, how should we kill Ahab? <laughs> or what, do you, what do you think? What do you think we should do? And one says one thing, and they're, they're swapping ideas, they're talking about it. And then one of them comes forward and says, hey, I can make the other prophets lie. And God says, because he knows everything, yes, you should do that, and that will work. Fantastic idea. Go ahead and do it. So God, for whatever reason, has decided to consult these other spiritual beings to help run the world. He was working together with these guys up in heaven or wherever they are. And they help him carry out his will. He, he wants to do teamwork. God is a really big fan of teamwork. Now, let's jump over kind of almost back to the beginning in a way to Genesis chapter 1. So we know that we've got these, these sons of God or these heavenly hosts or these spirits, these heavenly beings, and they were there at the beginning of creation and they're God's children and they help him run the world. And so we've got this verse that you might be familiar with and I've highlighted some words that are, are quite curious. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and the livestock and creeping things and all of that. So God created man in his own image in the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. I used to read this verse and be like, come on, God, how did you get the grammar wrong there? You went from plural to singular, back and forward. I'm like, this verse doesn't make any sense. We want us and then he and then him and then them and our and his. And I didn't understand it until I understood this stuff that we wrote about in Job. Because I learned hey, there was more people there. They're not human people. They're some kind of spiritual people, these beings. They were there in the beginning. And I used to think my best explanation for this verse was that, well, it's God's a trinity, right? So there's three of them at least, so they can say us. But there's two problems with that. One, a Trinitarian being, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that whole thing, they're so united, they always know what each other's thinking. So why would they ever need to like say it and talk to each other and exchange ideas? They wouldn't need to do that. And then the second thing is the people who wrote this story inspired by God and the people they were telling this story to, they had no idea about a Trinity God. That's like something that happened somewhere like 200 AD after we got the whole Bible and we could finally see, ah, we can connect the dots. We're talking thousands of years before that. People are talking about this story and no one stopped to say, hang on, that doesn't make sense. I feel like everyone would have said that doesn't make sense unless they knew what we've now just learned, that there was other people there. And so God says, let us make man in our image. In other words, just like us, these spiritual beings are made in God's image. They have some of his attributes. They have his role to rule over and take care of the earth. He, he works with them to do that. So they have his image like we do. But then it's very clear that when it comes to the actual creating, his own image, he created him, he created them. We're not talking about other capital G gods. We're not talking about other creators. There's one creator who made these other beings in his image who also decided to make us in his image. So, uh, I'm just trying to remember the order of my slides. I think, yeah, let's go to the next one. Good. Okay. So, we've established that God has some sort of spiritual family. And I think family is the right word because they're called sons or children of him. They're made in his image like we are. And he works with them to rule the world, to carry out his will in the universe. And these are some of the names in the Bible that refer to these same guys. The sons of God or the heavenly host, angels, the divine council, spirits, or in other places they're even called princes. They're his spiritual family up in heaven, okay? So then let's go to the next one. Then in the next verse after the verses we just read, we see that God, he, he's made men. So let us make men. Okay, he makes men. And then he says this. Uh, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful, 
multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So God gave man this commandment, and we can start to get a bit of a glimpse into what God wants right here. His intention, God's intention, was that we would be his earthly family that would rule and take care of the universe. That through us, God would rule. That we in his place would go into the world and make it into a great place. And so God created this Garden of Eden we read about, this, this paradise, where we could walk in God's presence every single day. And, and notice this, God didn't make the whole world the Garden of Eden. He made a garden in the world. Because God's very intention right from the start was that we would have a look at the paradise that we've been given and then go out and adventure and explore and, and, and take on the chaotic world and turn it into order and make it into something good and basically expand the Garden of Eden all over the earth with God's ways and his likeness and his kindness and all of that. That's what it means to be God's image. We are to reflect him. We are to be the imager of him in the world and to turn the world into a better place. It's kind of like, I, look, I've started to play Minecraft. I'm just going to say it. And if you play Minecraft, you would know when you start a new world and it's just like the possibilities. Like, what could I build? Where could I explore? What could I find? What treasures are lurking beneath the deeps? And, and, and I think Adam and Eve would have been, it's like a real life Minecraft. They just popped up and it's like, wow, there's this awesome, cool thing to do. God's like, here, have some food. It's delicious. Oh, that's incredible. Oh, here, there's an animal. Why don't you name it? Oh, me? Okay, sure. I'll name it. That sounds great. I'm going to call it a mm, gorilla. Oh, very good. I like that one. Like, it just sounds so cool. God had this awesome plan. He's like, hey, spiritual family, get around, get around. I've got an idea. Let's make an earthly family. And then through them, we can help them turn the universe into paradise. And they can just have so much fun and adventure and exploring. I think it sounds awesome. So here we go. We've got the earthly family. We're made in God's image to be rulers and caretakers of his creation. So we've got his spiritual family, and now we've got an earthly family. And now, if we go to the next slide, we can see clearly that they lived happily ever after. The end. Now you can, you can all go home. Except they didn't. They didn't, did they? I mean, are you, are you tasting new fruit and going out naming animals and exploring the world? I, I'm not. Something happened. Something uh, went wrong. And you might ask, why would some, how could something go wrong? Like, I mean, it's God. How, how, his plan must work, right? Surely he's the smartest thing in the universe. But the reason something went wrong is because God gave us one of his attributes, being made in his image. He decided to give us the attribute of freedom. You have freedom, just like God has freedom. Now, we don't have all of his attributes, because if we did, we'd be perfect. But he gave us a subset of them, and one of them was freedom, because he wanted us to be able to choose to love him and follow his ways. But if you can choose to do that, you can also choose not to do that. And we also know that the spiritual family also have freedom. God gave them the ability to choose as well. There's a lot of parallels between us and them. And so we see things went wrong because we had the ability to do things our own way instead of God's way. So I want to ask you just quickly to think, what is wrong with the world? Have a bit of a think about it. You don't have to answer a rhetorical question. I, I'm betting you're probably thinking, hey, turn over the page to Genesis chapter 3. 
there's a, an apple and a snake and a lady and something like that. And, and, and if you would ask most Christians today, what's wrong with the world? They would tell you, well, we live in a fallen world. The fall, the fall, there's, there's this fall that's coming. You know, it's the season after winter, it's the fall. No, before winter. It, there's this fall, right? And that's actually correct. There is a fall. But if you were to ask that same question to a first century Christian, I'm talking about somebody who was a Christian right after Jesus rose again, when Christianity first started. If you were to ask them, what's wrong with the world? They would say, well, there's three things. There's three things wrong with the world. And that's what I want to get into tonight. Because if we, if we need to answer the question of what does God want right now, we need to answer the question of what's wrong with the world. So the first thing is the thing that you probably thought of, which is this so-called fall that happens in the garden. And in Genesis chapter 3, we, uh, we read this story about how Adam and Eve were frolicking in the flowers and loving the garden and everything was good. And then a serpent, a snake, came along and started to talk to them and trick them. Now this serpent character is uh, a very interesting character. And uh, if we can jump up to the next slide, you might think, oh, I know who that is, it's the devil. And again, you, you would be right, but we didn't draw those connections until Revelation. So we're in Genesis right now, the first book of the Bible. It wasn't until Revelation that John, inspired by God, made the link. So let's go to the Revelation verse, if that's the next one. Nope. There we go. Okay. So we've got something about a war. You can do your end times theology later, but let's just jump down to the middle of it where it's talking about how uh, the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown out to earth and his angels were thrown down with him. So without getting into end times theology, we can see that throughout the Bible, we've, we've got this devil figure, we've got Satan, we've got the serpent, we've got the deceiver, the father of lies. And, and so John kind of draws it all together and, hey, they're the same guy. Let's, we can pull this idea together now and establish that there's this figure. And I want to call him tonight, not by those names, I want to call him the original rebel, the first rebel in the universe. Because it seems that when God gathered his spiritual family around to share his plans to create the world, this guy wasn't too happy with it. Do we have an, an example, a historical image of what happened back then? Yeah, there we go. Hey, you're going to have earthly brothers and sisters. And uh, he wasn't too happy with that. And, and so I think he, he thought, well, you know what? If I can get these humans to stuff up, if I can get them to blow God's plan out of the water, God will just press control Z, he'll undo the whole thing and we can go back to the way things were. And so he went to whisper in Eve's ear, well, did God really say what he said? Is that really what he meant? Are you sure you didn't hear him wrong? You know, Because really, you'll, you'll actually become more like God if you disobey him. You'll, you'll be able to tell the difference between good and evil. And, and he twisted and he manipulated and he tempted and he helped push humanity into disobedience. And sure enough, we know that they did. So not only did we rebel and disobey God in the beginning, but also this is when his spiritual family began to rebel and disobey God. And that's the first thing that's wrong with the world because the consequence of that was that we could no longer have eternity in God's presence. We couldn't live forever walking with him close, knowing his presence, knowing what he wants, living in paradise forever. And here we go, good, there we go. We've got rebellion, the start of a family feud. And I think, let's go to the next one. Yeah, so... That rebellion introduced death. We lost eternal life in God's presence. But that was the first thing to go wrong. It didn't end there, unfortunately. 
And so we can continue the story on in Genesis and we get up to chapter 6. And we read what may be the most peculiar piece of Scripture in the Bible. I'm sure there are a few contenders, but this is a weird verse. And unless you've heard what we just talked about for the last 15 minutes, you probably wouldn't pick up on what this is saying. But let's have a read of Genesis chapter 6. When human beings began to increase in number on the earth and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of humans were beautiful and they married any of them that they chose. Goodness me. Farmer wants a wife, but different. (laughs) Then the Lord said, My spirit will not contend with humans forever, for they are mortal. Their days will be 120 years. Let's go to the next verse. Oh, yep. Sing hallelujah. The Nephilim. Okay. This is where things just even. The Nephilim. Gesundheit. Were on the earth in those days. And also afterward, when the sons of God went to the daughters of humans and had children by them, they were the heroes of old men of renown. Next verse. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created and with them the animals the birds and the creatures that move along the ground, for I regret that I've made them. But luckily, Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. I'll just give you a moment to digest what we just read. Because yes, it seems that some of these spiritual beings, we saw them referred to as the sons of God in this verse, they were like, well, I don't really like your plan either, God. And some pretty, 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 pretty girls down there. And they thought, and this is what I think, right? This is my interpretation based on my research, that they thought, you know what? I'm going to make my own people. This is God's people, but I'm going to make my own people. And so they fathered some children called the Nephilim, who were giants and powerful men of renown. And they started to lord it over humanity. And we can see this event referenced, so it's not just Genesis, this is referenced by two different New Testament authors. The first one is Jude, so let's have a look at Jude. Uh, He says, Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. So he's talking about when Moses led the people out of Egypt. He's saying Jesus is that God, and those who didn't believe ended up dying in the wilderness. And then he says, And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. In this passage, we see the word angels. Now, this is a bit of a side note that you need to know. The Old Testament, written in Hebrew. A lot of the New Testament, written in Greek. And when you have that translation from Hebrew to Greek, all of these nuanced terms like sons of God, heavenly hosts, spirits, kind of all just got grouped into angels and demons, right? So the Greeks kind of just generalized the term. So when you see angels here, it can mean angels some type of spiritual being. If you see the word angel in the Old Testament in Hebrew, it always meant a spiritual being who had the job to be a messenger to people. So an angel appeared to me. It's not to say the being is an angel. It's to say his job was angel or postman. <laughs> he had to deliver a message, right? So, but but that's, that's why you really need to understand the Bible because we got the word angel in two places of the Bible and they actually mean two different things. I just need a drink of water. Okay, let's go to the next one. To Peter. So Jude and Peter both wrote about this. He says, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, 
but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of, chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. So both of these guys are actually referencing Genesis chapter 6. They're, all the historical work has been done on it, and it is clear they are referencing this same event, that these spiritual beings left their place of authority on some whatever God's counsel is, and they decided to sin against God by corrupting humanity and fathering their own children. And what they did was they taught us how to be wicked. They taught us how to kill each other. They taught us how to be extra violent. They taught people how to do all of these horrible things. And, and basically, I would summarize it as there is a spiritual darkness that can influence us to be worse than we would be by ourselves. Now, don't get me wrong. We're pretty good at sinning. We're pretty good. We can stuff it up all on our own. We don't need the devil's help. But it's clear that there, there was some kind of influence of spiritual darkness that further corrupted humanity to the point where God said, I regret even making humans. That's a very far step from one little disobedience in the garden all the way to what he, where he says, let me read it. Uh, that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. Like, wow, what a way to say it. But we were corrupted. And so let's go to the next slide. There's wicked influence from spiritual darkness that further corrupted us. So not only are we, have we lost eternal life in God's presence, but the idea of righteousness and holiness has been totally corrupted in the human condition. Let's keep going. And I, I believe that this spiritual influence still continues today. And we'll get into that in a little bit. So that's the second thing that's wrong with the world. But there was a third thing. And we continue through the book of Genesis up to chapter 11. And we get to the next little sub-story that tells us what's going on. Now, the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar. I googled how to pronounce that, and that's correct. And settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. <laughs> okay, jolly good. And they had a brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. And they said, hey, let's build ourselves a city and a tower with its top up in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Next verse. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people and they have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down there, confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. Notice there's another us there as well. So this is not all the spiritual beings that did stuff in Genesis 6, but there's a some of them that messed up. But God still has his, his fam. So the Lord dispersed them from there all over the face of the earth. And they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel because there were, the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord dispersed them all over the face of the earth. So the theory is that this is when humanity separated. At some point in history, we were all in one place in Mesopotamia. And God came down and divided up all the nations. And now we've got Europe and Asia and Native America and the Pacific Islands and Aboriginal Australia. And all of that would have come from this event whenever it occurred. And so this is a, a bit of a peculiar story. And you might, you, if you're like me, you're going, God, like, he's up. <laughs> like, humans... What's going to work? Teamwork. They work together. They build a nice tall tower up to the heavens. And you're like, no, nah, I'm not having any of that. I'm like, God, that's a bit unfair. But, but what you need to do is you need to actually research what is going on here. And so in Mesopotamia in that time, the kind of tower they would have built would have been this thing called a ziggurat. And this tower, the purpose of it was to call God down to us. It was to say, hey, God, 
I don't want to follow your ways. I want you to follow mine. I want you to fit in this nice little box I build for you and stay out of our business, please. That's what this tower was about. And when you realize that, you're like, oh, okay, I see that God didn't really overreact here because humanity were literally saying to God, I don't want you to be my God anymore. We can rule ourselves. We don't want to be your people. And we can get some further insight into what happened here in Deuteronomy. So let's jump to Deuteronomy, and it's referring to this same event. The rock, his work is perfect. I thought Jumanji was pretty good, but I wouldn't call it perfect. For all his ways are justice. Okay, it's talking about God. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity. Just and upright is he. They have dealt corruptly with him. They are no longer his children. Because they are blemished. They are a crooked and twisted generation. Do you thus repay the Lord, you foolish and senseless people? Is not he your father who created you, who made you and established you? Remember the days of old. Consider the years of many generations. Ask your father and he will show you. Your elders, they will tell you. When the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance. When he divided mankind, he fixed the borders of the peoples according to the number of the sons of God. But the Lord's portion is his people, Jacob, his allotted heritage. This is a very interesting verse because it tells us something that Genesis 11 didn't tell us explicitly. In that when humanity said, God, we don't want you to be our God, God said, okay, you have freedom. And what, what it says God did was that he took the sons of God, the council, these spiritual beings with him, and he said, hey, can you look after this nation for me? Can you look after this nation for me? Can you look after these, this nation for me? And he got these like spiritual managers to look after all the different nations of the earth. It says they were divided according to the number of the sons of God. So God's like, how many of you are there? Yeah, okay. Well, that's how many people groups we're going to have to split up in or something like that. I don't know. We can't read too much into it. But we can get some kind of idea that God did this. He kind of set up these proxies in between us and God because we said, screw you, God. We don't want to listen to you. We want to rule ourselves. And so God set this up. And um, in terms of that last verse there, we're going to get into that next week because it's really exciting. So not only did we lose eternal life in God's presence, not only were we corrupted by spiritual darkness, but now we were no longer God's people. He made us his children and now we've divorced ourselves from him. Unfortunately, it gets worse. See, this is what's wrong with the world, these three things. And I think we might we have a bit of a summary. Yeah. So spiritual family, earthly family, rebellion brought death, corruption, and separation. We're no longer God's people. But these heads of nations, these spiritual beings that God set up to look after all the different groups of people, they didn't do a good job. And just like the bad dudes in Genesis 6 and just like the serpent in the garden in the beginning, they too said, well, you know what? I think I know how to rule these people better than you, God. I kind of like having my own people. And we can see this in, I think, what is maybe the most fascinating psalm in the book of Psalms that I'd never read until, I don't know, like a year ago or so. So let's go to Psalm chapter 82. It says this, God has taken his place in the divine council. So here we've got another word for that group of people, sons of God, the divine council, heavenly host, angels. In the midst of the gods... He holds judgment. Now, I put that not in all caps, just so that you could see very clearly. Capital G God has taken his place in the midst of the lowercase g gods. So this little gods is not to say that there's another creator being. It's, just, it's another word for these heavenly hosts or this divine council. They're other spiritual beings. So he holds a judgment for them. And God says this, 
uh, to all of these rulers of the nations. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? He says, instead, you should be giving justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. They have neither knowledge nor understanding. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. I said, now this is the prophet speaking, you are God's sons of the most high, the real creator God. All of you, nevertheless, like men, you shall die. That rhymes. You were God's sons of the most high, all of you, nevertheless, like men, you shall die and fall like any prince. Anyway. <laughs> That sounded better in my head. No. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit the nations. Now, that is really exciting, and I'll tell you why next week. But very interesting, I think. We can see that God, he set up the nations to be ruled by these little G gods or these, his sons or his council, these angel beings, and they didn't do a good job. They weren't just. They didn't look after the weak and the needy. In fact, they started to exploit the people that they ruled and they encouraged things like child sacrifice and all this nonsense stuff that developed in all of these other nations. And God was angry. He was upset with them because that was not their job that he gave them. And we can see this, uh, this bad behavior in action in the story of Daniel. So let's jump over to Daniel. I know we're jumping all over the Bible. I hope you're okay with this, but we're just jumping from book to book. So Daniel, really cool book. And, and so he basically, he, he's, he's asking God for help. He's crying out to God. And for weeks, he hears nothing. Poor Daniel, have you ever prayed for something and for ages, you're like, God, I've been praying for weeks and I haven't heard anything from you. Can you relate to that? So, all of a sudden, after weeks, this angel rocks up. And it says he was in, the, in the, uh, the appearance of a man. So he looked like a person, but he was an angel, a messenger from God and a spiritual being at that. And he said to me, to Daniel, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. In other words, Daniel, the second you prayed... God responded, he heard you, he responded, and he sent me on the way. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. But Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the king of per kings of Persia. And then basically he delivers the message to Daniel, and then he says this in verse 20. Um, but now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. So now we've got an, another name for these heads of nations, these sons of God or these heavenly hosts or these angels. They're being referred to as the prince of that place, the prince of Persia, the prince of Greece. And we can see that God is trying to get a message to one of his followers, Daniel. And one of these spiritual beings decides, I'm going to mess with that guy. And I'm going to interfere with God's plan. We can see that they started to rebel against God. God gave them people to look after, and they're not looking after them. They're meddling, they're rebelling against God's plan, and they're getting in the way. And so God has to send the big brother Michael. He's like, oi, take care of your sibling, will you? And Michael goes down there and then lets the messenger through because he's probably like more powerful or something. Anyway, I'll always speculate about what's going on. But... This idea is not just in the Old Testament. We can also see the Apostle Paul talk about it. So let's jump over to Ephesians. In fact, this is the verse before the verse that Bess read out, believe it or not, which I thought was really cool. I think so. Ephesians 2? Yeah, 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 yeah. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So Paul's reminding the church in Ephesus, hey, we used to be corrupted. We used to follow the prince of Ephesus, I suppose, the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's corrupting these people. 
We used to just follow that willy-nilly and do whatever we felt like. But hey, and then we go on to what Best read, that we're different now. We're saved by grace through faith. God, God looking after us. And then with all of this in mind, we can jump over to Ephesians chapter 6. And this is the last scripture for today. And we have this famous verse that you would have heard. And I want you, after hearing everything that we've just talked about, to see whether this means something different to you now. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. It has a lot more context for you now, right? I was like, what? That makes so much more sense. These guys have been there from the beginning and they've been meddling with God's plan from the beginning and our, our battle really is not with each other at all. It's not against flesh and blood. It's against the spiritual darkness that helped us lead to death, corruption and separation from God. So let's, let's have a look at a summary. Thank you for bearing with me. You've done so well. We're going to wrap it up really, really soon. So we've got God has this spiritual family. They're not all bad by any means. In fact, I think the majority of them are fully on God's side. And there are different verses in Revelation that seem to indicate that. But some of them decided to uh, use their freedom like we do and disagree with God and mess up his plan. And we've got our earthly, earthly family and then a, a joint rebellion. We rebelled the spiritual beings rebelled that made our rebellion worse. They helped us rebel. And there's been this struggle and this nonsense going on. And it's led to death. We lost eternal life in God's presence. Corruption. We have a wicked influence from spiritual darkness. And a separation from God in that we are no longer his people. And this is a very mellow note to end tonight. I feel like I've just like hit you with a truck or something. But there is so much hope. Because when you understand this, what Jesus did is levels of incredible more than you even thought. Because not only does God fix the first one, but he's going to deal with all of the other problems too. And we're going to look at that next week. Um, so yes, Ben, you can, you can jump up. But if, if you want a bit of a hint as to how God fixes this, then you simply need to turn over the page of Genesis 11. You know, I always wondered, you know, we've got Genesis 1 to 11, and it's like, here's some crazy piece of the beginning of history, and then it jumps to this story, and Cain and Abel, and Noah, and the Tower of Babel. And then all of a sudden... We get to Genesis chapter 12, where the timeline almost gets more defined and we can start to trace events much more clearly. And in Genesis chapter 12, we meet a guy called Abram. And we begin to see his story and it is absolutely incredible. Anyway, we're going to get into that next week. There is so much hope because this story has a happy ending. Um, yeah, to be continued. <laughs> Um, so I hope that tonight has opened your eyes to things that you maybe never even thought about before. And I thought uh, we could reflect this week on that last verse that I read, Ephesians 6.12, about how our battle is not with flesh and blood, that there is actually something bigger going on and has been from the beginning. And as you read the Bible, you'll see that there's actually this overarching story with us and the spiritual family and God and all of this tossing and turning and, and, and things working their way out. Um, but it has a very, very happy ending. Um, and we're going to get into that next week. So let me pray for you and uh, I'll hand back over to Bess. God, thank you that you're a good God. 
And thank you that you didn't give up on us. That even though we stuffed it in the garden, you took us out of there, but then you, you continued on the path and continued the, uh, the plan that you had for us. And even when we stuffed it up again and then you had to wipe everyone out and start again with Noah, you still promised Noah the same promise that you promised Adam right in the beginning. You gave him the same plan. And, and God, I thank you that you haven't had a plan B, that you have always had a plan A. And you always come back to your plan, your original intention of what you want with the earth. So God, be with us this week. Lord, help me to prepare for next week as we get to the conclude credible story. I pray that you would be with all of us and we would have a fantastic time. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Awesome, over to you.